Hi, this is Helen, and thank you for joining me for a cup of teal. Teal is shorthand for the future of work. It means bringing your whole self to work, a focus on purpose and self-management. And this podcast is a chat over a cup of tea with the people who are making this happen in health, care and public services. Stories of self-management in action. What is it like to work in home care during this pandemic? And does it make any difference if you're a self-managed team? In this podcast, I talk to Gemma, who's a well-being worker from our Oxfordshire team, to Mary, who's the well-being leader and registered manager for the Oxfordshire team, and to Michelle, who's part of the national team supporting all of our teams to self-manage. Let's start by hearing from Gemma, who's very much on the front line delivering care to older people in their homes every day. Before I joined wellbeing teams, I was a TA for special needs children um, half of my time during a primary school. And the remainder of my time there, I was a drama teacher, um, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And then I saw this job opportunity come out in all directions from various people that I knew um, and just felt this is for me. This is the right time for me and my family. So how did you experience self-management before these recent changes? What could you give us a flavour of what that's been like for you and the team? Okay, so with self-management, the main thing that sticks out to me prior to this pandemic is that we had weekly team meetings in person for an hour and a half, um, which were really key to building a strong team, being able to connect with each other because we generally go out and do visits individually and be able to share ideas and experiences and basically improve the lives of the people we're supporting. That's obviously since changed with what's happening with the virus. So we've actually been doing them via Zoom for a long time. We actually started that and implemented it before the isolation period of the country. And that's been a bit different, um, but it's been nice and we've all kind of adjusted it to now. I'd say self-management before also was quite straightforward. You know, we've got a really strong team and we have various roles. Someone does the rotor. I facilitate the team meetings, for example. But as we've gone into these really challenging times of the pandemic, those things have been stretched more and we've had to be more flexible um, in doing different roles because some people at times have had to isolate, for example, and changes to our rotor, you know, are happening daily um, in challenging times. Gemma, take us back to when this first started to hit. What was the first response of the team? What happened early on? Obviously, like everybody living in the country, was fear, really. You know, what does this mean for the people we're supporting who are the most vulnerable people, being, you know, elderly in their homes with various medical conditions? And also, what does it mean to us individually? And I can remember having to really you know, listen to the news updates and and the advice from the government about who was safe and and what the best practice is to make that decision to continue going out to work myself as my younger daughter has recently had a heart surgery um, and has cerebral palsy. But it was really good, actually. We had great, great help from Mary, who's actually our registered care manager. And we all discussed it in, in Zoom meetings as a team. 
everybody except for one team member has been able to continue working and feel safe to do so. And we've been able to get our PPE right from the beginning, which has made sure we are safe and the people we're supporting are safe. The difference, I suppose, now we're doing the job at first, it felt very alien to be going in, in PPE with a mask such as aprons and gloves and hygiene that we were already doing that but it was difficult with the mask at first for the people that we were going to because we didn't want to look frightening and we wanted to be still be able to give all those communication skills and it's it's really interesting how much you show with your face Mm. so those have been challenging but as the time's gone on everybody's adapted and got used to that and I just think it's vital more than anything right now that We are going out and keeping these communities safe, especially as they're more isolated than ever with unable to see family members and friends or go out in their community. We are the people that keep them safe. We are the people that give them that companionship, which we were doing already, but it's even more so important right now. And the reassurance and the explanation of of what's happening. You know, some people we support have dementia. We may have to relive that every time we go into a visit. So it's, it's very challenging, but I feel really, really lucky to be taking part in this and to making sure that people are safe. Gemma, I remember shadowing you last year. I think it was around Easter. And I remember being struck by the very person-centered care that you were offering and also the relationships and the quality of relationships you were making or had made with the people you were supporting. What have you noticed that's been different about either the way you've been supporting people or what you've especially paid attention to during this time? I'd say what's become more clear is that the companionship has become even stronger and the bonds I mean it is part of our practice and something we do anyway as a team but that's being extremely important right now and I suppose the differences are thinking out of the box what can we do to fill these people's days you know because they're saying the days feel really long it's much easier to feel lonely so we've adjusted some of our visit times so one person we support would usually have a long afternoon going out somewhere but that's actually been broken down into an extra visit every day um, so they have that contact so that's made a difference things like bringing CD players in through our circle connector to connect people to music um, which takes them into a different place with their imagination and their memories and I suppose really making sure that when we are there that we are reassuring them and we're communicating even more with their families and their friends outside their home to obviously offer them reassurance. In some instances, I've suggested Zoom to talk to grandchildren and families, which has been put in place for some people, which has been brilliant and amazing how many people are are great at technology in the Adley community. We've always said that the wellbeing and wellbeing team stands for the wellbeing of the team, as well as the people you support. Have you been doing anything differently to support each other as a team? I'd say that we've been checking in on each other more often. We've been picking up the phone and talking to each other, reinsure each other, because actually going back to the fear element at the beginning, you know, we're all humane and and this is a forever changing scenario with a virus that different people in the team at different times feel vulnerable or, or worried or anxious about things. So we're really checking in on each other more and having more conversation with each other outside our shifts. 
and also i'd say the other thing that we're doing which we're very lucky is we've got the opportunity for weekly testing to see if we're actually carrying the virus that's been set up through um, a local company called systems biology laboratory and we're having pcr tests weekly and that's been a great thing to give us reassurance um, and the people that we're supporting Gemma, it's brilliant to hear how you and the team are managing and your dedication to supporting older people in Oxfordshire. Thank you very much for sharing your experience with me. Thank you. Now Mary picks up the story as the registered manager and wellbeing leader for the Oxfordshire team, explaining how fearful people were really naturally at the beginning and how they're managing practicalities within the team. It's been a really, well, a roller coaster of events and emotions over the last few weeks. So if I backtrack and think when it all began and when we all became first aware of COVID and, and the threat it posed, that was at the end of March. And I think at the time, advice was a bit thin on the ground. So we were all just watching the news for any kind of advice or, or suggestion as to how to react as a team. So if I think back to then, we were all pretty frightened, to be honest. We were like everybody. It was a really human response. And I think we all felt vulnerable because unlike everybody else, we couldn't stay at home. We were there supporting the people who needed our support and we weren't keen to keep working. But I'd be lying if I said we weren't all frightened for the consequences for ourselves and our families. The team is female in, in Oxfordshire at the moment, in Abingdon. And they're all, apart from being wellbeing workers, of course, they're all daughters or sisters or mothers or wives. And, and you know, quite rightly, they, their human response was to worry about their families. But that didn't stop them <laughs> being the great professionals they are. Of course, they carried on working. And we met frequently to discuss how we were feeling. And a central team, so myself as well-being leader and with support from our partners, Bellevue, we, we focused really heavily on finding as much personal protective equipment as we could. I think we anticipated correctly that it would become harder to source. So we jumped the gun, if you like, and, and managed to get quite good stocks of, of our usual PPE. But also we focused really hard on trying to source masks and um, not just the surgical masks that the team wear daily and they dispose of after each visit, but also we ordered necessary should we be actually supporting somebody that we knew the virus. So we ordered specialist N95 masks, eyewear, gowns, um, which we have, and I have to say, thankfully, we haven't used yet, but we have them there to keep our, our wellbeing workers safe. So that, that was our initial response. And... We waited with bated breath as the team went out and did what they do fantastically until it happened. And we had somebody, um, an elderly lady we're supporting, who developed symptoms. Her well-being worker did what she had to do, dialed 999, and a rapid response unit came out dressed in all the protective equipment. And because her symptoms were those of COVID-19, she was treated as if that's what she had. Now, as a team, we were very, very concerned for her, of course, but we, we all felt that her symptoms were probably more, more evidence of her underlying concern, which was a heart problem. She'd had heart surgery in recent weeks, so 
the team are really experienced in supporting people who've come out of hospital after surgery and they were convinced that her symptoms were just you know recovering from heart surgery but we had to all react as if she had the virus so five well-being workers had been in contact with her in the previous three days so five of our team had to self-isolate so you can imagine the impact on them and their families while they waited for news while she was tested but also the impact on everybody else we support because we had to really scale down our visits the team were amazing and in their typical self-managing style covered all the remaining visits but we had to par them right down to essential ones so it had a massive impact on the service we could give to everybody else we supported but luckily within a day and a half this elderly lady got the all clear and we as a team then got the all clear which was fantastic but it was a real eye-opener as to how just one sick person could affect our service and you know our capability to support at least another 18 people in the community so that the potential for the virus to on on the neighborhood and and the community that we serve was was really palpable so at that point one of our workers and decided that she wanted to be furloughed because she lived with her elderly uh, mother-in-law who'd recently recovered from cancer surgery and has other underlying health complaints. And the whole family were really worried about the prospect of this wellbeing worker bringing the virus home. So it was with a real heavy heart that this lady decided that she couldn't, couldn't work with us for the while and has been furloughed. And it, you know, it's a very much an individual choice. We're all in very different circumstances at home. And we had a couple of others who thought seriously about it. One whose daughter had open heart surgery fairly recently, a young eight-year-old, and another whose sister's undergoing chemotherapy. So you can imagine the individual sort of um, examining of conscience and turmoil that went on there. But um, so far, it's just the one person that, that is furloughed. And the rest of the team have carried on. And also it's worth pointing out that during this time, uh, interest in becoming wellbeing workers has rocketed locally. I'm sure some of that is due to the fact that people are being laid off from jobs in hospitality and other industries. But also people are are really motivated by seeing the amazing work that, that the NHS community And it's really fantastic because the type of people, of course, that are approaching us are people with the values that we want. Mm -hmm. So um, so one great plus from all this is is an upsurge in in, in recruitment, which is fantastic. Are you noticing any difference in decision making and how decisions get made within the team in response to this? I'm not sure if there's any difference. I think we're all um, hyper vigilant and aware and the sense of responsibility is always big in a well-being team, but right now it's fairly massive. But I would say the responsibility sits with the people in the team, always has, but we defer to them totally um, because they're the people in the front line. They're the people uh, making decisions about themselves and the safety of their own family. And they're the ones, for example, when, when the elderly lady was taken in and, and five wellbeing workers had to stay at home and isolate, it was the team who liaised quickly with the families of the remaining people and were able to scale down to those that absolutely needed a service. And they arranged for family members to look after the ones that didn't need us quite so much. So 
I wouldn't say it's changed. I, I would just say it's brought it into sharper focus. And perhaps it's made really obvious that decision making lies within the team. And we've always said that the well-being and well-being team stands for the well-being of our colleagues and the well-being of the people we support. You've talked about um, having sessions together, presumably over Zoom or an equivalent, to talk about your feelings. I imagine that's in team meetings. What else have you been doing to support each other's well-being? So the team meetings have always been fundamental. They're, they've always been crucial and, and they make a team a team because we meet up. It used to be face to face and now it's on Zoom. And I'm really surprised how we haven't lost that sense of being together by using Zoom. So mm -hmm. for that sharing of nervousness or joy or fear or whatever the emotion is just as easy to do on Zoom. So those still happen and remain as important as always. We're also doing social get togethers. And we always did, but they were infrequent. They were if somebody had a, a big birthday or if there was a particular celebration but now we're trying to schedule them in at least every couple of weeks, just half an hour all together, perhaps with a glass of wine of an evening, but just touching base and not talking work at all. And I think that's been really important too. And I've noticed as well that the buddy meetings are still happening and are focusing on each other's well-being more so than they were previously. Kira, and I hopped on to the Oxfordshire Slack uh, today to, to check in and see what was happening. What, what else are you noticing on Slack, for example, new channels or different conversations? Or Well, actually, what, what I really noticed was the sharing of compliments that uh, are turning up on, your, on the system that you're using where families can record compliments. So what, how is it working with Slack? Well, Slack is amazing. It always has been, but it comes into its own when something changes, somebody needs help or a situation changes. And of course, at the moment, we're all being hypervigilant and, and concerned. So we've new Slack channels. We've a coronavirus one that is anything that relates to the protection of the team or the people we support. We've teamed up with our tech partner, Birdie. We've a new channel around shopping. So they're helping us with booking online deliveries for families because the general public are really struggling to find online deliveries and our elderly population aren't all tech savvy. So we've taken on that role for them as well. So we've a Slack channel all about shopping. That doesn't mean to say that the wellbeing workers aren't still popping out for milk and papers and doing, doing general shops. They are. But for any weekly or even monthly sort of store cupboard shops, we're, we're organising those on Slack. Helen, you mentioned the, uh, the compliments you're seeing on Slack. And they've always been there. But at the moment, they feel even more important that our workers aren't just recognised with a clap on the doorstep on Thursday evening, but they're recognised daily by the people they're supporting and particularly by their families. And any recognition we get, we make sure that it's quickly um, shared on Slack and that everybody can get to see it. Previously, we used to wait till team meetings. We don't wait anymore. We make sure that everything we, we pick up on, on Birdie is quickly translated to Slack so that everyone gets to see it. Obviously, we're also focusing on the well-being of the people we support. Given that so many people will be more isolated at this time, are you noticing the team doing anything different to support connection and decrease isolation? Absolutely. I think isolation is always a problem, you know, with the elderly population that we support, but never more so than at the moment. And who knows for how long? 
And some of the people we support previously were, you know, were relatively independent. So would be able to take themselves out and go shopping or go for a walk. And, and of course, all that stopped. So the team are, are ever more important in being that link to the outside world. And they're very aware of that. Hence, you know, the keenness to, to keep business as usual, to keep some normality for these people that are even more isolated. But some of the brilliant initiatives that have happened, we've teamed up with our, our community circles connector, Megan, who supplied us with some iPads and, and tech. We've wellbeing workers in, in people's homes, helping them connect with their children or grandchildren via FaceTime or Skype. And that's been had a really fantastic response. And then simple things like picking up on the fact that one lady has a really extensive CD collection, but like most of us now, doesn't have anything that she can play a CD on. This was noticed by one wellbeing worker. Another picked up on it and went on Amazon and, and found a suitable CD player. And a third one was the one that managed to open the parcel when it arrived, set it up and start playing CDs. I think they were operatic ones that this, were this lady's particular favourites. So, yeah, they're going the extra mile as usual, but really trying to think out of the box to give people some variety in their day and keep them connected with their loved ones. Mary, in your past, you've been both a commissioner and you've led provider services. What do you think the biggest differences are in the way that more traditional services are operating now and what you're seeing from wellbeing teams? I think if I were running a a traditional organisation, I probably would have a head of complete grey hair at the moment. I'm sure I would. Um, I have a few. Um, but the, the response from, from that team level has been so amazing. And like I said earlier, the sense of trying to keep business as usual, primarily for the people we're supporting, but also for one another as a team, has taken an awful lot of the worry away from the way we're responding to the crisis. The fear that I described at the beginning, that human response has ebbed away. Really, the the response has been one of absolute sort of generosity to the people we're supporting. I imagine if I were in a traditional organisation, I'd be the one constantly liaising with families. I'd be the one trying to placate any concerns. But it's the team that have taken that on board. They know the families better than, than I do. Um, they know how to give them peace of mind and how to connect with them and how to make sure that they know that their loved one is having the best possible care and support. So so that whole sense of giving responsibility to the people who, who are on the front line, they've taken that and run with it and taken responsibility for reassuring um, the people we're supporting and families around them. So for me, I think that's that's been the greatest response And also the fact that we've had many applications, as I said, for new posts as wellbeing workers. We're even recruiting a new team at the moment, which, given that we're doing it via Zoom, um, I think is quite an achievement. We've induction planned for for Monday. And um, our wellbeing workers have been happy to have people shadow them. They've reassured the people we're visiting that shadowing is, is so important because it enables us to recruit more people and and expand our teams so really the resilience is coming from the front line and I'm able to focus on developing and expanding and meeting the growing need that's out there. It sounds like 
the way that you've described how well-being teams are responding is exactly what we would have hoped for in that it's business as usual, it, it's compassion, it's decision making as close to the person as possible, it's looking at the well-being of the individuals we support and each other. But what I've noticed that I'm delighted about and uh, I'm heavily involved in some of Brené Brown's work at the moment is how you're holding the space to talk about feelings and holding the space to talk about fear because if we're not able to talk about fear and anxiety in this context it will leak out in in other ways so both being able to talk about fear as well as having great social times reassuring each other and carrying on great work so thank you Mary that's just so brilliant to hear how the well-being teams are working in practice and being honest about feelings and talking about difficult things too thank you so much thank you and finally let's hear from michelle who explains the practical ways that teams can self-organize and what she's noticing supporting well-being teams to self-manage during this crisis well, I've been thinking a lot about this because I think I've been looking at what's happening in teams that aren't self-managing as well as in teams that are self-managing. And I think in teams that are self-managing, they might describe little or no difference in terms of they're already using lots and lots of systems that help them get on with things themselves and to feel that they're trusted to do that as well. So one of the, the significant changes was the announcement that meetings had to end for you know, obvious reasons. And in the self-managing team, the meeting is like their organisational heartbeat. That's where they meet every week to figure out how things are going and what to do in the days and weeks to come. The change there is taking that meeting to Zoom. And I know lots of teams nationally have taken meetings to different kinds of platforms but that will also be something that they've already used on occasion as well because every well-being worker has zoom on the phones already because that's uh, one of the ways that we communicate while they're there i think they're using some of the same processes that they would already be using so they would still have a facilitator who holds that all together that wouldn't be a well-being leader and that or, or a manager they would still be using processes like the staying well at home board, each team's way of checking in on the progress of each person that they support. So in the board, you'd have somebody is off track, a bit off track and on track. And what the team would do, the, the link wellbeing worker, who's similar to a key worker, would be describing how that person is and raising any tensions or issues if that person is off track or a bit off track so that's a way to kind of make sure that everybody is um, understanding what's going on in the bigger picture it, with all of the people that they support and I know I've been talking to some other organizations lately and some of the home care workers have said They've absolutely no idea how people who they're not directly supporting are doing, even though they might be called upon to support them, given that these are really challenging times and there might be heightened sickness levels, etc. So, so they would be doing that. 
I, I think, again, business as usual in terms of knowing what's going on daily. So we use the Slack app within Teams and uh, the Slack app is like WhatsApp for professionals. And what that does is each person that we support has an individual channel and people would be updating that on a daily basis so that everybody feels completely in the picture about how things are going. They also have channels for team discussions and again, you get a sense of what's going on in the team and where they're at. In Oxfordshire, one of the channels that they've started is a, a, a COVID channel as well, so that they can direct questions, queries, conversations around that to a specific place where people can discuss and explore that as well. So, so all of these things are what would usually happen, but they're just happening in maybe in a slightly different way, or we're creating new channels to um, flex with what's going on. One of the areas where people have to respond really quickly is if a team member has to self-isolate or if a team member becomes unwell. What's the processes that wellbeing teams are using to manage that? So what, what would happen in a wellbeing team is that, and this, this would be the same now as, as previous to now. So if you was ill and you wasn't able to come into work or, or a loved one wasn't well, you would ask your buddy, first of all, can they help you cover that shift? And if the buddy can't help, you would ask uh, wellbeing assistants. So each team has a bank of wellbeing assistants and they're people who know people well, they're attached to the team, but they, they don't necessarily have the same regularity of shifts that the ordinary team would do. So the worker would be reaching out and asking the assistants as well. What they would also be doing, and I'm seeing this, is because they run the rotors basically, they do the scheduling with the help of their team scheduler, is that they'd be making suggestions, if neither of those worked, for maybe merging the runs and thinking about who might be agreeable to a different time, etc. So they would be doing that as well. And one of the things that I have seen is that it's like a version of a shadow rotor. And this version of a shadow rotor is an availability channel. And again, it's checking in who's available for the week coming up if something happens and somebody can't get into work for, for any reason. So again, now, similar to what we would see before, so if somebody can't get into work, they figure that out very much within their team rather than rely on anybody else to do that for them. What else are you noticing about issues like PPE? How's that being organised? So what I am seeing is that although it might be the wellbeing leader who you know, initially does the liaising around getting it sorted. I'm seeing that in each team, there's a designated uh, wellbeing worker whose responsibility it is to coordinate, picking it up, distributing it, and checking in that people have enough, which I think is great because they know the needs of their colleagues closer than anybody else. What else are you noticing, Michelle? What are the teams paying attention to? So we've always paid attention to loneliness and we've always paid attention to creating memorable moments. So moments that make somebody's day. What, what I am noticing is that there's a lot more attention on that, particularly 
people highlighting where family can't meet up with their loved one anymore, where somebody might be being shielded and they're paying attention to that more and what they're doing is trying to source things that help that person. So I've seen examples of digital radios being delivered to people, iPads being delivered, sessions on the phone to make sure that somebody understands how to use the technology that they might already have. I've seen people getting extra wool delivered to them so that they can knit and crochet. I've also seen what normally happens so we, we pay attention to people's birthdays and we celebrate those with the person as well. But again, in this time when birthdays feel odd for any of us, a really big deal going on around celebrating that birthday, making it a, a really memorable moment as well. But what I'm also seeing is when we're no longer supporting people. So for some people, what they've done is they've decided to pause the service and maybe just their family support them for a period of time. What I'm seeing is real efforts being made to stay in touch with them, check in on how they're doing. And we're seeing really nice feedback from families around still being made to feel connected and that they are valued and cared about, even if we're not delivering a service as well. So I think the idea of paying attention to isolation and loneliness is it's something that we already do but it seems to have been ramped up and more significant at this time and I know that you're in touch with a lot of providers because of other work that you've been doing what would you say are the biggest differences between what we might call traditional home care organized in a hierarchical way and what you're seeing from well-being team colleagues well, I think what people are having to do quickly now that they might not have done before is devolve decision making. And certainly in, in lots of home care providers that I'm familiar with, they're used to asking, can they do this? And asking, is that appropriate? Certainly in wellbeing teams, they're really clear about what's within their gift for decision making and basically they're doing what feels and right for the situation and things happen quicker which is a real bonus around this i think that for a well-being team having a you know a well-being leader or manager working from home they, i doubt that they would notice any difference from that because the coaching would happen much more remotely anyway and they they're trusted because they meet every week, because they do confirmation practices that checks how they're doing on delivering on the standards, then I don't think it feels very different. Now, I think that in traditional organisations, they'll have had to be getting used to managers not being as visible, not being around as much as well. And I imagine that managers have had to kind of change how they approach decision making as well and really think about how do we ensure that the teams feel trusted to make decisions while they're out and about in the field as well and, and another thing that I've noticed is different is some things have to just keep happening so even though we're in this time of lockdown providers still need to recruit they still need to bring on board colleagues because there might be additional sickness but also that many teams will have had gaps already and what we found reasonably easy to do is take recruitment into a, a you know an online experience that still feels like value-based still feels like you're getting a good experience when you are being recruited and certainly some of the feedback we've had 
from that is that people feel part of a team even when they're um, being recruited and that they hope they, they're successful because it, it already feels like they're part of a team. So that's felt like a, a pretty good and easy transition that might not feel the same in a traditional setting. Could you say a bit more about that? What's the process of value-based recruitment when it's all done online? So somebody would apply to us. Now, they don't apply using a CV, but they, they would apply. So they might know somebody and get in touch because somebody's recommended it or they might see a Facebook advert. And what we would do is we would ask them some questions, really simple questions to see if they, they feel like, well, firstly, they can answer the question. So one of them is about what does a good morning look like to you and get a description of that. So we would ask those questions and then based on that, we would invite that person for a conversation. And that's a conversation with a recruiter that basically explains what wellbeing teams is. They'll have already had some information sent to them. And we have a a really equal conversation that's testing out from our perspective. Do you feel like a good fit for us? Uh, But also, do we feel like a good fit for you? Michelle, the recruiter, that's a well-being worker, isn't it? Or the well-being leader sometimes? Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. it it is. So the the recruiter is is simply somebody who's got a responsibility for recruiting. But we try to have that same person as a constant throughout the recruitment process because we want to develop relationships with the person. And you don't have to be a manager to be a recruiter. And certainly in our teams in Wigan, Becky, who was our recruiter, was excellent because she was better placed even than the wellbeing leader to say, what does this job really look like from a wellbeing worker's perspective? So you don't have to be a manager to do that. And what happens after that? So after that, we would invite somebody to our workshop. Now, pre-COVID, that would have been coming to a half-day workshop with other people and they would be bringing things that they've already prepared. So one of the things that we don't ask for is CVs. And what we do ask for is information about who that person is, what matters to them, what good support looks like to them, what people appreciate about them. And um, they would come to a workshop and we would use a series of exercises to kind of see how they match our values. We've not been able to do that during this period, but we have been able to translate the workshop into exercises that we do over Zoom very similarly. And there's, there's not been very many differences really around that. We've had a couple, I think three successful rounds of workshops that have been online via Zoom that have given us really high caliber colleagues. And there were some other things that they do as well that they would already do online so that they would do um, a psychometric questionnaire to see what their fit is like around being part of a self-managing team. So there are things that they would already be doing that is the same. And there are things that we've just tweaked for an online version. But it's worked really well. And post-COVID, I wouldn't see any reason why we don't have a couple of offers. So one that's face-to-face and one that's online. Brilliant. Thank you very much. That's really, really helpful. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear your reflections. Please tweet me. I'm at Helen at WB Teams. This podcast is a companion to Open Teams. 
On this podcast, we share the voices and stories of pioneering organisations in health, care and public services. And on Open Teams, you can see the documents that they're using. Have a look at openteams.co.uk. And if you're interested in wellbeing teams, please come and find me on LinkedIn, where I share a weekly two-minute film, or my blog site, helensanderson.net. And finally, if you're interested in self-management and need some support along the way, I'd love to hear from you. I'm at helen at wellbeingteams.org. Thank you.